take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couple Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And please be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships where we bring you our experiences helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, everyone says you need to work on a relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of with the partner they fell in love with. In today's episode, Jean and I will be talking about something really interesting. The differences, kind of comparing and contrasting, mm-hmm arranged marriages versus love marriages. And this topic really kind of came about because on Thursday, we have an episode coming out with a couple that were actually arranged. Right. And we had the pleasure of attending their wedding. Last uh, August, August, yes. In Macedonia. Right. So this was an Albanian Muslim arranged marriage. It's just a very, very interesting, you know, concept and... Uh, you know, until we met them, I had never met anyone that has had an arranged marriage. You know, it's interesting because you really only know what you know. Such a profound statement, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, we both grew up in the suburbs of Chicago in around the same time with many of the same people having the same type of beliefs and experiences, at least in our early childhood, up until eighth grade, we were both went to the Catholic schools and everyone around us looked similar. Yeah. And even though I'm first generation American, I was raised pretty much in this westernized society. Right. And so my experiences have been truly American. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My, my family on my father's side, and there has been a, a cousin that um, did attempt an arranged marriage, but that did not work. Um, it kind of fell through. So that was my only close experience, you know, to witnessing someone have an arranged marriage. Were any of your aunts or uncles arranged? I'm, I'm not really sure, okay. actually. I don't really know. I don't think they were. And I, and I think in your culture, it was more matchmaker-ish. And families arranging, would you say? I I don't know enough about. I, I've been so removed, right. you know, from that older, that old culture, mm-hmm. that I'm not really sure how things were back then. You know, this couple that we interviewed, it was really interesting to see how much the family had so much of an influence on them getting together. What I found really interesting is that. We didn't know his family when we interviewed them. And she was here for a year and she spoke very little English at the time. 
and he did a lot of the translating. So we got to hear the background of their story about how they came to be as two young people experiencing an arranged marriage. But it really wasn't until we went to their wedding, which was a year and a half later than their marriage. Right. Um, their cultural wedding that was in Macedonia that we really learned about the family and the influence of um, the culture and the extended family and the town and the community. You know, I think we should probably clarify arranged marriages versus love marriages versus forced marriage. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that all of you out there are going to be very surprised and shocked to know that 53% of marriages in the world are arranged. Right. That's a 2012 statistic. But a 2017 statistic in Canada said that 60% of Canadian marriages were arranged. 60% in Canada? Well, Canada has a very big migration population from countries like India. That is, it's a very common thing. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And so that's why, and then, and then the divorce rates are pretty shocking as well. 4%. Yeah. Which, I mean, you compare that to the statistics here in the United States, and it's between 45 and 50% mm-hmm. is the divorce rate. So that is shocking. And, you know, we're going to kind of speculate as to why it is so low, but we should talk about forced marriages versus arranged. Right. So a forced marriage is just that. It's somebody against their will being forced into a marriage. And those are typically in societies where one person has power and control over their spouse versus arranged marriage which was like this couple mm-hmm. where the families are the ones introducing them or selecting you know who their mate is going to be but then the bride and groom have a choice on whether they want to move forward or not correct so they ultimately do decide and i would say that these people participate from a religious cultural tradition and many arranged marriages are arranged because they want to keep the unity of the religious beliefs intact within their community. And within each generation moving right. forward. Mm-hmm. When I think about what I learned, and you know, you can think about this while I'm talking, about what I learned about being in relationship and being married and what it was, what the expectations were to be a wife or a mother, I, I feel kind of like I went through that blindfolded. You know, you see the Disney movies and the Happily Ever Afters, and there's always that kind of concept of being single isn't a destination. It's when are you getting married? Right. The culmination or the finish line is getting married. Mm -hmm. But there isn't a lot of information about how do you and what do you look for in a person and... What are the expectations you should have as an individual person and as uh, for yourself in those roles? And so, you know, I saw what my parents did, right? And their relationship is vastly different, I believe, from relationships today. My mom not only was a stay-at-home mom, but all the moms were stay-at-home moms. It wasn't, there was a whole community of stay-at-home moms and it was very different and how the community supported each other in those roles. And the dads went to work and the moms stayed home and the families culminated at church on Sunday. And so, I mean, these are traditional roles you're talking about, which were very static Mm -hmm. and the expectations were kind of standardized across the board. 
which I think that makes it very difficult for couples today, you know, creating and finding love marriages where there isn't really much direction, you know, and so what we are hearing from people who are single and, you know, starting to try to find a, a partner that they're kind of on their own. And if we go back to the five A's, attention, affection, acceptance, appreciation, and then allowing to become as primary needs of a human being, if those needs weren't met adequately, it's very easy to get into a relationship where some of those needs are getting met, but it may not be a really good match. You know, we should just kind of clarify, we're not saying that arranged marriages are better than love marriages. What we are saying is that it, it really brings up a lot of interesting points about how people seek out a mate when they are creating a love marriage. And also, what kinds of pros and cons are brought up in arranged marriages? I would say that, you know, if I go back to my parents, they also followed a lot of, court, a lot of cultural norms where they didn't have sex till they got married. They Cultural or religious? I think it was the culture at the time. I think it was pretty widespread across all religions during the 1950s, 1960s when they came together. And you had those expectations that, you know, that the vow said that the wife would obey her husband and men were expected to go to work and make money. Women were expected to stay home and raise kids. My mom said in her podcast that, you know, she wasn't pregnant the first three months. She thought, she thought something was wrong. And so I think they even had more struck external structure than couples today do in terms of deciding a love marriage. Like external expectation. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you were supposed to do this, A plus B equals C. Right. And I think in arranged marriages, there's so much of that that I don't even think there's very many options, which I think is the attractiveness of it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't really have to go through the difficulty of trying to find a mate. I mean, your families are the ones vetting, you know, the the families and the person for you. I think the vetting word is really important. Mm -hmm. That this is another person whose family has similar beliefs, expectations, and the roles are defined. You know, in Arben and Jazita's story, they are going to probably live in his parents' home, their whole marriage, and as well as his sister who is in the process of becoming arranged. But that's what their dad told us, right? Is he's like, I intend on my kids living with me forever. Mm -hmm. and, and they live in the United States. Yeah, they live in Chicago. Right. And he was 21 years old when he started the process of getting arranged. And I believe he was 23 and she was 21 when they got married. Does that sound right? That sounds right. Okay. So we're talking young people. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was really interesting to meet his sister who is 22. And I asked her if she was also going to have an arranged marriage. She grew up in the United States. She was born in the United States. She goes to a community college. She's working on an advanced degree, I mm -hmm. believe. And she absolutely wants an arranged marriage. And she's never dated. She never has went on a date. And when you think about, you know, our son is 21. Mm-hmm. And his experiences of dating today, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of sexual pressure. There's a lot of um, 
kind of the cart before the horse kind of thing. Well, because the roles are not as defined as they have been in previous generations. Right. So you don't really know, you know, what role as a man you're, you're supposed to play anymore. Or, or as a woman. And you talk about like just the courtship process. You know, when we podcasted the single guys, Eddie, who was in his 60s, was like the guy always pays. That traditional stereotype. I would never have a woman pay, right? And then in the women's podcast, they would say, the single women, they say, well, I always offer to pay. And some guys let me. And, and so those things get really blurry and confusing. So, you know, I think that's, that's really the amazing thing that we were able to witness when we went over to Macedonia and, and saw this traditional marriage, you know, take place. Just the dichotomy between our society here and their society over there. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Where there were distinct roles that men were supposed to play and distinct roles that women were supposed to play. And just the the traditional values and the, you know, stereotypical traditional values that um, was so far apart from what we see today in, in, in westernized society. Yeah. As a traveling person, as a traveling woman in that country. (laughs) It was kind of awkward to go out for a meal because only the men went out publicly. Mm-hmm. And I had to go to the coffee shops, which had all men, to eat because I didn't have anywhere to eat. And it's not that they didn't serve me or had any type of bad vibes or feeling, but you could just tell it was not normal. Right. And, and you know, to clarify, this is also um, a more traditional part of Macedonia you know, what we experienced in the capital was in, in Skopje. It seemed a lot more westernized mm-hmm. and much more progressive. Absolutely. But we're talking about villages, right, and towns that were closer to Albania. So they had a lot more of that Albanian Muslim influence. Yeah, because the rest of the country is Orthodox. So there are some Muslim and some Orthodox. And this entire area was Albanian Muslim. And the welcomingness of their family was really incredible. Both you as a guy and how you were included in the male rituals that were going on during those couple days we were there and how I was really received by the women. And it was, it was actually really kind of cool, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was really amazing experience mm-hmm. just to kind of be welcomed, you know, open-armed and almost, you know, encouraged to join their family. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, very much encouraged. And they definitely treated us very much like family, Mm -hmm. which really allowed us to be able to immerse ourselves in the culture and get an understanding of how much influence the entire family has on this couple's relationship. Right, and the community, not just their immediate family, but the extended family as well. Right, the community and, you know, the religious uh, background as well Mm -hmm. and how much that has an influence. You know, obviously when we're talking about, we're talking about these different types of relationship structures, I mean, there's cost-benefit, right, to all of them, you know, and I think that in a relationship like theirs, which is arranged, I mean, one of the benefits is that you have this, 
you have this entire family community that is behind you 100% and you know you are you are pushed into going through all the difficult stages in a relationship and you have this entire family behind you you know as support as confidants as also role models as a moral compass as well right because you wouldn't just be betraying your partner you would be betraying your whole culture right so you wouldn't just lose a marriage you would lose everything I think one of the costs, you know, in that kind of structure, obviously, is this diminished choice. I don't know if that's a good way to say it, but that, you know, your choice is influenced by all of your family members. You know, yes, in the end, you're able to say yes or no, whether you want to marry this person, but that's really it when it comes to choice. You know, I just had this thought that a lot of our lives are that way, right? If you go to college, you have to pick a major and you have to follow the course of uh, what they set out for you to obtain that major. And when you have a job, you have to follow the rules and structures of those jobs as opposed to being an entrepreneur where you are required to do everything whether you know how to do it or not. Right. Yeah, you're just thrown to the wolves. Right. (laughs) And so one way is a much clearer path of how to do things. Mm -hmm. And the other way is the freedom of choice, but also the burden of failure because you don't know what you're doing. Right. And I, I don't think we do a very good job, and maybe because it just is new, of helping people really learn how to choose a partner, fall in love, how to really get to know someone and how to uh, work at relationships. I think that's an absolute fact, actually. In, in, our to, in today's society, we don't. We don't do a good job of, you know, helping young people figure that out. You know, what are appropriate boundaries that you, are you supposed to have in a relationship? What are the difficult stages that you are going to face in having a committed partnership with someone? And so when they find themselves in those difficult places, which is expected and going to happen, they don't know what to do with that. And it gets very scary. And then typically that's when people back out of commitments. And in arranged marriages, I think you have someone to go to. You can go to your mother-in-law or your mother or your father-in-law, your father, and they've been there and they've done that and they've pushed through and they can they can at least role model or teach you about Mm -hmm. what their experiences or how they got through that. An interesting thing that when we're working with a couple, we ask them not to discuss their relationship with anyone else. Right. That is one of our rules. Right. And one of my clients who listens to the podcast, she asked if we could talk about appropriate boundaries about what you should discuss about your relationship with people outside of your relationship. And I think it's that burden again of choice when you're choosing and you're choosing from more of a place of what's in your heart rather than your domestication or what's in your head about right and wrong and good and bad and how you should do things, it's very difficult to listen to other people, especially if they haven't achieved the level of success in relationship that you're looking for. Well, I think that's one of the things that is missing in our culture today, and I say the westernized culture today, and that is that lack of role modeling. You know, whereas if you think about the 
arranged marriages and their tight-knit community. You had those older couples that you could go to, you know, to ask for advice and to seek their counsel. You had the imam, you know, in this this particular couple that we're talking about, they had the imam that they can go to and they can talk to about the relationship. But in today's society, that actually is not existent anymore. The fact that the major family structure in the United States is a blended family means that, you know, there are more divorces, there are less intact families. And so because of that, the role modeling, I I think, is not there. I think also that we just really lack discipline. And I mean that from a place of holding yourself accountable so that you can learn who you are. You know what I mean? I'm not just talking about, certainly not punishment at all, but just the discipline of doing things whether you want to do them or not and seeing them to fruition so that you can sort of learn what you're made of. And so, you know, they call the whatever generation it is, this newer generation, the intolerant generation, right? Because everything sort of shows up for them. You know, when I was a kid, if I wanted to listen to a song, I either had to call the radio station and wait for them to play it and sit through maybe two or three hours worth of songs before I heard what I wanted or buy an album with 12 songs on it and I wanted to hear one versus instantly we have it now. So instantly that we're not uncomfortable enough and it's uncomfortableness that helps us learn who we are. And when you are following external pressures and structures of a community you have to figure out where you end and the community begins as opposed to just an open space of trying to create something. Which is part of the challenge for young couples today in creating a love marriage. And that is that there is very little guidance. They don't really know what direction to take. I don't think they know themselves that well. And at the same time, they're trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to figure out how to be in a relationship. And both of those are very unstructured things. Which are part of the cons, right? Or the cost of of trying to create a love marriage without direction or role modeling. You're just kind of left to, you know, connect with how you feel inside. And if you don't truly know yourself, well, then you can easily be led astray, which brings up a, another thought that I had. And that is that concept of love. We're kind of talking about love marriage. You know, and in an arranged marriage, I don't think you necessarily, I mean, you're, you're meeting your partner for the first time. You, you're not necessarily going to be in love with them. And so does love develop over time versus a love marriage where they have that feeling first before they create that committed relationship? I was just reading an article of a woman who had an arranged marriage and she saw her potential partner for the first time and she thought, what am I getting myself into? But within the first half hour, she knew he was the one. Within the first half hour? Yep. And he was Canadian and she was from India. And it was in talking and having shared common values. And so I think we hear this all the time too with love relationships, right? They know. They just sort of know. And I think that's the part that is th- that blended piece that law of attraction still plays is I think you do know. 
even if you don't know the person, I think you know if there's a potential connection or bond there. Remember I was telling you about this, about uh, lab partners? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, you're in high school and they assigned you a lab partner. And it's always someone that you would probably never be friends with. Someone you wouldn't normally socialize with or something. And you're just like, like oh, don't pick me. Don't pick yeah. me. Oh, crap. <laughs> and then because you have to make an effort to get this project done and you have this common vision, you end up learning something about that person and it ends up being a very enjoyable experience. At least I found that. I'm not talking about the group stuff where one person does everything. I'm just talking about like the one-on-one -on -one stuff where you have to get through that awkwardness. Mm -hmm. And I think you would know, I think you would know very early on if someone had a good heart, if someone was a good uh, temperament and match for you just on a very instinctual type of level of attraction. Well, then also from there, I mean, obviously you have to have a physical attraction, you know, to a partner. But from there, then it comes down to investment. And how much are you investing in that relationship in order to grow that love, right? Because there are couples that were in love and then... And attracted to each and other. And attracted to each other. And over the years, because they have stopped investing in their love marriage, that they fall out of love. I think about that a lot with um, actors and actresses who are attractive and, you know, whatever, and they are so bad at relationships. Their relationships fail all over the place, and it's not, you know, sexual attraction, I think, is an absolute baseline necessity of a long-term relationship, but it's not the end all if be all. If you don't feed that, it right. goes away. Yeah. Because that is designed only for the first couple months, mm -hmm. right? You can't maintain that level of being on a high, right? right? And so then they become a real person. And, you know, you and I have been hanging out for uh, 23 20, something years. 23 years, yeah. And our bodies have changed and we've gotten older and so many things. And, I think there's a difference between loving someone and liking someone. And I think liking someone is the component that makes you want to invest, that makes you want to share your life with that person when you have an experience and you want to tell them or you want to spend time with them and invest in that relationship. Which takes investment also. Absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. in, in figuring out who this person is, understanding them, you know, finding compassion, empathy. And, and when you start to feel those things, and you know, that adds to how much you like the person. It was really interesting when we were in Macedonia at that wedding, um, how the sister-in-laws were in that home. Because in their culture, the wife moves into the husband's home. And not only is it the husband's home, it's all the brothers and their wives and all the sisters move out and go to their husband's homes. And so the sister-in-laws almost have a really structured way of knowing what they're supposed to be doing. And I don't know if that's just because how we were when we were there mm -hmm. and they were you know, serving us and entertaining and, and making sure our needs were taken care of, right? Yeah. If they're like that all the time. But you could see the confidence that they had in, I know how to show up in this family. And it's, it's not just... A couple it's it's a whole family right and and the kids and the grandma and you know and everyone had their very defined roles and their defined roles were even marked by how they dressed 
the the young mothers dress very differently than the older aunts or the grandmas. And each of them had their own set of how they should do things. Where our culture, we don't really have that. Well, you don't know what your role is. Right. Right. Or what the expectations Mm -hmm. are, you know, for your place in the family. You know, when we talk about families, and we've talked about this in, in other podcasts, and that is that there is a system, right? A family system. And each person plays a role in that system. What we're talking about here is a system that is conscious, consciously designed, right? Where you know exactly what your role is. And most often the systems that we encounter in working with families, they don't know what their role is. They do play a role in the family, but they don't know what it is. Hmm. I have a interesting thought about that word conscious because I think they are performing a role that they've learned not that they've decided in in arranged families. Oh, oh yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then in love marriages, they're either acting unconsciously based on what they've learned, but they may not be aware of what they've learned or what they could choose beyond that. And that would be probably, in my opinion, one of the benefits of being in a love marriage is you have that opportunity to create something other than what you've learned. Sure, it's also a burden, right? But then there's that other thing of growing beyond and becoming, and I think it's just if really different aware. lessons. Yeah, if uh, you're aware. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and that's really the key point here is becoming truly aware of that, you know, and doing the soul searching within yourself. Which I would bring back to discipline and the discipline of of having common morals and a common value system you're going to stick with something when it becomes uncomfortable because it's expected and you're going to learn and grow and know yourself through that process. And when you don't have those external pressures, how do you create your own internal discipline so that you can learn about yourself and grow through those experiences, which I think is why people come to counseling is to learn those things about themselves to try to find that reflection because it's very difficult to know yourself. Well, I think most people come to counseling and therapy because they're in pain and they don't in the end they find that awareness you know of themselves but initially the motivator is just not being happy with where they're at in their life in the moment what did you learn about expectations of being married and being a father and being a husband well this kind of relates to a homework assignment I give all my male clients, and that is to define what it means to be a good father, a good husband, and a good man in this world, right? Because based on those standards, it influences your everyday and your every actions. I mean, my my upbringing and role modeling was more of a traditional type of family structure where, you know, the husband was to go out and make money, be the financial provider, also be the disciplinarian, Um, and you know, the wife was to be the homemaker and take care of the kids and, you know, make sure that the, the kids are, uh, learning as much as they need to, you know, getting them from one activity to another, that sort of thing. So it was very traditional. And so my expectation in growing up and what my marriage was supposed to be was based on that, but, 
it isn't something that I wanted and isn't something that we created. Well, it certainly wasn't what I wanted either. I I never was cut out to be the stay-at-home mom type of person. That's just not my wheelhouse. And And it obviously reflects something that I didn't want because I sought you out as a partner. So Right. And so I think we had that. And I would say that I was influenced by my parents in that way. My mom, and I'm not saying this for her, she said it on on the podcast that she was in, that she was passive and she was much more subservient to my dad. And then after he passed away, she became much more of an independent person. But I'd already been influenced by her as a younger mom that, you know, was kind of more obedient and more servant-like. And I know I didn't want that for myself. Yeah, I I think the the evolution of relationships that has happened in American society is a good one. You know, whereas both people, both partners are trying to find an equal place in their relationship as it should be, right? It should be equal partners. But I think that this transition is difficult. It's very challenging for a lot of couples trying to find that because past generations, they they can't provide that type of direction that would be beneficial for relationships today. Right, because even if they're following a traditional model of what we had as children where you know, the husband's making money and the wife stays home, the community isn't there anymore. So they're much more isolated and trying to emotionally support themselves. And we see a lot of stressed out people, a lot of stressed out people, whether they both work or one stays home, there's not as much support as there used to be. And everyone's trying to do everything. Right. I mean, they're trying to live up to some expectations and placing a lot more pressure on themselves than they can even handle. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the biggest takeaway from this idea of a love marriage versus an arranged marriage has to do with developing as a human being. And, you know, one path teaches you certain things in a certain way, but another, the other path teaches you certain things in a different way. And to me, that is, if I had to define what a successful relationship was, it would be that. It wouldn't be that you were married till the day you died. It would be that your relationship is helping you learn and become and grow. And that happens on a daily basis. 100%. It is something that we constantly have to be aware of and we have to reevaluate every single day. And what we put energy towards is going to grow. And what we withdraw our energy from is going to die. And that's just, it goes along with all of our relationships, no matter what structure you are adhering to. I think the, one of the advantages of the arranged marriages is that expectation is there right off the bat that you don't know this person and you have to make an effort and you have to forge something with this other person. And because the whole family's counting on you. Absolutely. And, and you don't know them. Right. You, you haven't gone through, you know, in, in love marriages, you've already gone through some tough things before you walk down the aisle or courthouse or however you get married right. today. Um, and so those, there's much more of a tendency for people to put the relationship on the back burner because life's busy 
and they're working and they're raising kids and the kids are busy and, and the relationship just isn't being fed. And I think in the arranged marriages, there's more communal support for all those needs getting met, even when things are tougher than the isolated couple slash nuclear family that mm. a lot of people, they, they don't even live near their parents. They don't have babysitters. They don't have that. And so it's really easy to not invest in your relationship thinking, oh, it'll take care of itself because I've made all these investments up front. Uh, again, comparing and contrasting, you know, these two different types of relationship structures is a very interesting one. And it brings up, you know, a lot of questions for all of us, regardless of whether you're in a love marriage or whether you're in a arranged marriage. It just really focuses on the fact that we need to be present and we need to ask the questions on a daily basis about where are we putting our energy and where should we be putting our energy and what are we investing in our relationship? You know, because it's a, a dynamic thing. It's ever growing. It is always something that we're going to have to work on, you know, throughout the entire length of our relationship. When you are in a long-term relationship, whether it's arranged or love, you are not the person you were the day you got married. You're not the person you were last year. And as you are becoming and growing and discovering yourself and your partner's doing the same thing, it's important to have touch points and check back in with that person and see who are you now? You know, something that might've been important 10 years ago is no longer important. And our, our lives are vastly different because we started another company and our kids don't live in the house. And so that's changed the whole, just what time we wake up in the morning and everything about our life, right? Where before it was like, oh, the kids got to go to school or, you know, whatever those external pressures were. And that's a normal thing that we are constantly changing and evolving and becoming. And to learn to sit down like you were dating again and learn who your partner is again, because they've changed too. I, I like the analogy of the ring, you know, being an endless circle. And a lot of people think that when you make that commitment you know, in marriage, that that commitment is endless, right? It is the same commitment for the rest of your marriage. And, you know, the concept of ring being a circle, you know, going round and round, it's something that symbolizes the fact that that commitment you are making is one on a daily basis. You know, the thought is that you're the same person that you were back when you got married, and that's just not the case. You, with your partner, have to evolve, every single day that would be like being hired for a job based on your resume and then not showing up at work <laughs> right <laughs> or not investing any time effort or energy into growing and becoming in that position and i think that again if it goes back to that concept of a successful relationship being one that you grow and heal and become in then what if your partner stops what if one of you stops well, then the relationship isn't growing anymore. And every marriage ends. Yep. We just don't know how or when. And some marriages end because one person stops growing. And some marriages end because someone leaves this world, right? But it is always going to be work. And really great work. I think it's one of the greatest things that we rewarding. can do. Rewarding. Yeah, very rewarding. 
So we want to wholeheartedly thank you again for joining us today and for listening to Couples Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. And we hope that by listening to this episode, it was not only beneficial for your life, but also your relationship. For all you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. And for more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.